Right. Um, all right. Now let's pray. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. Pet challenges. <laughs> no, are there topics you'd like to explore? At my last church, I called this "stump the chump," <laughs> and it was it was too true, so I quit calling it that. All right, so I'm just going to take them out. And we'll see how many we get to. It looks like we might get to all of them. We'll just have to see. All right, so um, our first reading is from Jim Dowdy. And he, uh, two passages of scripture. So Matthew 10, 42. So we're going to use the Pew Bible because we can't put it up there or not easily. So Matthew 10, 42 is on page 11. Okay. All right. So, and then there's a second passage. Um, let me find that. Um, Mark 9. Okay, all right. So uh, the other way is Mark 9, so we'll get to that in a minute. That's on page 45. So um, I'm going to read the whole passage starting at um, verse 40. So uh, listen for God's word to you. Uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. And um, you might want to save that spot, and then turn to page 45. Um, It's a a parallel passage from Mark's Mark's Gospel, and he says, um, just verse 41, uh, on page 45, uh, chapter 9, 41 of Mark's Gospel, he says, For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. So um, Jim asks a couple of questions. What is the reward? When will it be received? And will it be recognized? Okay, so um, so what is the reward? Well, the first one, uh, let's, let's look at this. He says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And he says, if anyone um, gives even a cup of water, cold water to one of these little ones, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. So he's telling us disciples about people who welcome us disciples so he's saying they won't receive their reward and then he says in in mark's account he says truly i tell you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of christ will by no means lose the reward so he's telling us that people who welcome uh, christ's followers will receive a, a reward so i guess the first the first thing to point out is um, this uh, may not be a reward for us, depending on whether we are also included in the group of people who do these things. So um, if we've got 
uh, people who um, we extend that kind of uh, courtesy to, that kind of um, uh, act of mercy to, then um, we may receive a reward. But it's not directed primarily at the disciples. So um, uh, what is the reward? Well, in Mark's account on page 45, he just says, he just says, there is the reward. And in um, Matthew's account, he imagines or he, he envisions a, a set of rewards. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Um, a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water, um, none of these will relieve, will lose their reward. So he doesn't tell us exactly what the reward is in the, in the case of the one who gets the cup of cold water. Um, I think with the, the earlier part of the passage, um, he seems to say that there's a proportionality, that if you welcome a prophet, then you get a prophet's reward. So I would think of Old Testament passages where um, prophets are generally scorned. Um, no one likes to hear bad news. And so Jeremiah shows up and says, hey, uh, Babylon's going to conquer our country and we're all going to go off to slavery. Everyone says, shut up, you, and they throw him into a cistern. So uh, prophets typically do not receive a happy reward, but there are examples of people who do receive a reward. There's a woman who, who welcomes um, uh, Elijah into her home, and um, uh, he, says, he says, make me some bread. It's a, it's a famine. Don't, no one has any food. And she says, make me some bread. And he says, well, uh, he says, make me some bread. And she says, I was planning on giving that to my son and I as our last meal. And he says, well, still, give me some bread. And so she does because he is a prophet. She says that she recognizes who he is. And um, she basically says, you know, you're an important guy. I will do this for you. And uh, she, gets a, she gets a blessing on this uh, jar of oil and, and um, grain. And she's able to make bread for the rest of this, uh, this um, drought. So uh, or the reward of a prophet uh, could be, you know, life in the face of people around you who are struggling because of the famine. So it could be a very big reward. Um, so uh, Jesus seems to envision some kind of a proportionality. On the other hand, um, he talks about the, the uh, reward of the righteous. Um, and I don't have a, um, what do you call it? An index. What do you call it? A concordance. And if I had a concordance, I would be looking up the reward of the righteous right now because I'm not sure exactly what Jesus means, but I have a vague idea in the back of my head that Jesus does talk about the reward of the righteous. Um, and I think, if I'm correct, it's eternal life. So I'm going to have to look that one up. So that kind of throws out the idea of proportionality. If, if you get, um, if you get or, or it reorients our understanding of what the proportionality is. If you get... Um, a jar of, of never-ending grain and oil to make food with for welcoming a prophet. And then if you welcome a righteous person and you get eternal life, that's like a higher level, right? One is ordinary physical life, the other is eternal life. And so that's a higher level of reward. So maybe this is a case where Jesus is turning our expectations upside down. And if so, then you go from prophet to just any old righteous person to just doing a kindness to your neighbor, Right? I would see that as a sliding scale downward. But if the reward is going upward, then I would say the sky's the limit. What's above, what's above um, uh, eternal life? It's being welcomed into the kingdom and told, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. So 
I don't know exactly what the reward is. A, a lot of it, for me, my interpretation hinges on what is the right, the reward of the righteous person. But um, besides trying to pin it down here, I would say um, that we shouldn't get lost in the in the trees to the extent that we miss the forest. Jesus is saying that he notices these things. That if you do a kindness for um, anyone uh, who is who is um, suffering because of his name, so somebody who is um, uh, out of out of their ordinary context, they need a cup of cold water. And if somebody does that um, in the name of a disciple, basically saying, "I recognize who you are. You're working for Jesus, and I'm going to make an effort to to bless you with uh, water or something." He says there'll be a, um, an extraordinary repayment for that, that there'll be some kind of a, um, a, a, a reward. So, um, unfortunately, he does not say what that reward is, so we have to wrestle over that. When will it be presented? Well, um, uh, when are prayers answered? You know, this this is the question, right? Um, you know, we, we all have things in our, in our um, life uh, that are going on, and because we're creatures, we, we extend through time, right? I used to be young, and now I'm old, and I'm going to get even older. So um, we tend to think of our lives as this linear progression of time. But what we understand about God is that God does not see time the same way we do. In fact, we heard in, our, in our, the opening of our worship that a thousand years are to God is a watch in the night. He can see it all with with the clarity he is not forgetting it or or losing track of it um, but we also we can't even imagine what it means to see it all unfolding at once to see you know everything in the present the way that uh, scripture indicates Jesus, uh, uh, god sees it so um, in some sense we may not get it when we want we may not get it when we expect it but in some sense we've received it already um uh, if we're ever going to receive it, then it, it, it is hinged on God's promise, so we've already received it in that sense. No one can take it away from us. Um, will it be recognized? Um, uh, because we live in time, my guess is we'll recognize it better in, in the past, uh, you know, in, look in hindsight than we do in, in um, forward. So, um, so. Thank you for the tough one. Um, Jim, Jim has been telling me for the last couple of, I don't know, month that he's got a, he's got a passage, but he won't give me a hint what it is. So, um, so now I'm going to have to go look up what, what is the reward of the righteous. So, um, uh, it's the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus talks about the resurrection of the righteous. So, um, let's look at the next one. All right. The next one comes from 2 Peter 5. Um, I think that's verse 8, 2 Peter 5, verse 8. Um, and it's not signed. So we'll have to uh, make fun of the person who submitted it. Uh, 2 Peter 5, verse 8. All right. Well, there isn't a chapter 5. All right. Um, somebody whisper to your neighbor. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe First Peter five eight. Could it be? All right. Um, I'm going to read Second Peter five eight. 
Okay. First Peter 5.8. So, um, okay, what fun. All right, this is on page 235, so at the very back. Um, uh, uh, Peter is talking to um, the elders of the church, and um, he says, I'm going to read that paragraph. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So, in context, I'm not even sure how much of that we can we can receive if we're just uh, uh, ordinary, regular church people. Uh, certainly, the beginning part of this uh, this uh, chapter, he's talking directly to the the spiritual leaders of the church. But I know I have found comfort in extending this to me as a as a regular Christian. Um, so I'm going to assume that that's true at least of the second part of this of this uh, passage. So humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so he may exalt you in due time. Um, I have been, um, I've been um, thinking a lot lately about humility because, um, because it's something we don't like to do. And um, let's assume we have a threat that's out prowling around ready to do us harm. Uh, most of us do not say, uh, man, that threat is more than I can handle. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, fortunately, God will take care of it for me. I think most of us say, what am I going to do about that threat? I'm going to lose sleep about it. I'm going to get an ulcer. I'm going to, you know, have all kind of, my body's going to disintegrate in 12 different ways because I'm so anxious about this threat. And uh, one of the things that, that I've been thinking about is how often God tells us to to accept the fact that we're not God but that God loves us. God, God is greater than us. God can do more than we can, and He's He's um, He's aware of this situation. So, um, what it says is, cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. And then He says, discipline yourselves, keep alert, and then warns us finally of the threat. What is the threat? Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. So. Um, you know, this is a Presbyterian slash Methodist church. I don't know if we're allowed to say devil in here, um, because we're so, we we shy away from the thought of a spiritual adversary. Um, I think we are so concerned that we make the devil equal to God that we end up making the devil nothing. And Scripture tells us that by no means is the devil equal to God. God is sovereign, and the devil um, uh, the devil's intentions are being uh, conform to God's plan for salvation. Um, so we understand that that somehow God is is working around what the devil's up to, but um, we we don't put the devil on the same plane as God. But I think the 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 danger is sometimes we in, in doing so we minimize the devil and we say, well, you know, people just make excuses and it's really all us and and we're just. Uh, uh, um, people and you know everybody makes mistakes and so forth. And Scripture says no, we actually have an adversary. Um, and I think it's a it's a um, 
you know, is anybody arguing with this? You know, whose life is so good that that they've never had the sensation that I thought everything was going to be perfect now and found that it wasn't? You know, who who has who has kind of saved their money, got to retirement, you know, thought that okay, now I can relax and not found that they had new problems. Um, you know, a family member had a crisis or uh, their health was deteriorating. I think what we find is that is that there is no escape from the schemes of the devil that that we suffer because there we we have an adversary. So the the roaring lion um is the devil who prowls around looking for someone to devour. But the good news is if we resist him, um, uh, um, God will um, strengthen, restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. Establish means to, to put you back on your feet. So the assumption is you might get knocked down, but um, he will be, uh, God will establish you. So um, uh, I hope that that's enough um, about that. I'm still not even sure if it's supposed to be Second Peter or First. So um, that's that's what I would do with uh, Second First Peter five eight. All right, and one last one. So Genesis one twenty seven. Oh, all right. So I'll read it in a minute. So Genesis one twenty seven. That's going to be very close to page one of the front part of your Bible. Let's see if it's on page one. Oh, it's it. It's on both pages one and two. So pages one and two of your Bible, Genesis one twenty seven. It says, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created he created them. So uh that's a that's a passage I could talk on all day. But then there's a second question or a question which is how many years ago was man created? Um I don't know if you all saw this. I just I just found out that um, uh, the 26th, 10 p.m. on the 26th of October, 4004 B.C., Alaska time, 9 a.m., um, Garden of Eden time, is the, is the calculation that um, uh, Bishop Usher came up with back um, in the mid-1600s. So he added up all the begats and... He sorted out all the times, and um, and that's the number he came up with. Uh, 9 a.m. Garden of Eden time, 10 p.m. the previous day Alaska time was his calculation, 4004 B.C. And I saw some smiles, and um, I, I smiled too because I don't think he was correct. Um, uh, the question is, how many years ago was man created? And... Um, the, the verse says, God created humankind in his image. And then it goes on to say, male and female, um, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. So I've read speculations on everything up to and including um, uh, this 4004 B.C. creation. Um, one, of the, one of the questions that I think people who are coming from a more modern perspective um, have to have to address is um, what does the Bible mean when it says when it says man when it says a human being um, what does it mean to be a creature that is made in the image of God so for example a more naturalistic understanding I've heard of this um, is that 
God created the world, and there's uh, uh, this whole structure that you read the whole chapter of uh, chapter one, uh, the whole structure of that, and you wind up uh, on, on the last day after God has made everything else, God um, makes um, humans, and so people have said, some people have said, what God is doing is He's taking what's there, and turning it into a human, turning it into someone who can who can um, appreciate who he is and um, appreciate uh, the, the a spiritual understanding of the world. So um, in the second chapter, there's another telling of this, and it says God created humans out of the dust of the earth. And so people try to put these two stories together, these two tellings of the same story together, and they say what God is doing is he's, he's creating a world, and that can be just the way you would bake a cake, or it could be, you know, over billions of years through the process of evolution, God is creating a world. But at some point, God breathes the breath of life into the creation. God breathes the breath of life into those humans who are made out of the dust of the earth, and they become truly alive. So that's another explanation. And the answer is somewhere between 4004 B.C. and, you know, Four billion years ago, whatever whatever the the time frame is. So, um, so uh, those those are the options, um, and the Bible doesn't tell you which one to pick, um, and, and it really doesn't. Um, one of the one of the fascinating things, if you read theologians from over the last well two thousand years, this has not been an issue until about um, one hundred and fifty years ago. The 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 question of of um, origins was accepted as as here we are God made us and that was the important the important thing to learn from the book of Genesis and I think we can sometimes make the mistake of trying to impose a Western um, rational uh, perspective on the scriptures um, that it wasn't that that's not doing justice to the to the the category of literature that the Bible is, um, we we this summer we read through the book of Revelation, and we saw how the writer of Revelation uses numbers to to symbolize things. So seven is a magic number, and forty is a magic number, and they have a they have a power that is greater than their numeric precision. And so if it says seven or if it says forty, um, a Western mindset, people who kind of uh, came of age through ancient Greece and uh, uh, medieval Europe and right up to the present day, we want to be able to put numbers into a spreadsheet and sum them up and come up with a total. But the Eastern mindset says no numbers are significant in and of themselves before you total them, before you add them all up, that seven is just a magic number. And I think when we try to impose the the cold-blooded, green eye shade um, perspective of n- numbering onto the books of uh, the book of Genesis, we're missing so much here. Um, so, I'm going to quickly hit just three things in this one verse that are that are significant doctrines, far more significant in my mind than the actual age of the planet. Um, so, it says God created humankind in His image. What does that mean? That's a huge statement. That's a huge statement. When you see somebody lying in the gutter because they're a chronic inebriant, 
They are made in the image of God. That's a huge statement. You know, Jesus, we just heard Jesus talking about, I will give a, a cup of, you know, anyone who gives even a cup of water will receive a reward. This is, this is foundational to uh, Judaism and Christianity, that everybody you ever meet is an image bearer for God. That's a huge statement. Um, it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right there, in the same verse, so it's not like you, you, you can't say, well, no, I'm putting pieces together that don't belong together, because it's the same verse. It says, male and female are created. No one disputes that. And they are made in the image of God. So right there, you have a huge, um, a huge, uh, distinction that is being drawn between any, any culture or any set of ideas that would say women and men have different intrinsic value before God. It says, you know, it goes on to say that they're different, but when it, when, when it first introduces them, it says male and female are both created in the image of God. So um, those are examples of things that um, are, in my mind, um, the, 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 the deeper truth that um, outweighs the, the numerical precision of um, exactly what year this was. I think Bishop Usher missed the point when he totaled it all up and found that um, the other day was the anniversary of creation. So I hope that that answers the question, um, and, uh, and I'll leave it at that.